As you've noticed, today is a special day in many different ways. Uh, One, we celebrated a baptism today, which is wonderful. Also, we'll be celebrating Lord's Supper today as well. And uh, also, too, maybe not as special, but um, I'll be sharing with you today. So that could be good or bad. We'll see how that goes. So I want to ask, uh, let's start off, you know, uh, for those of you that know me, I, I like a, a more interactive approach. So if I ask a question, it's rarely rhetorical. Um, I'm going to read some scripture where Paul asked some rhetorical questions, but when I ask a question, I'm usually looking for a response. Um, so I, I wanted to start today with some interaction just to get everybody kind of tuned in. How many of you are familiar with the Da Vinci painting of the Lord's Supper? It's very famous. I think most of us have seen it. Jesus sitting in the middle, glow around his head, off to the side, apostles, off to the side, apostles. But they're all sitting on one side of a really skinny table with a lot of really nice Italian Renaissance era uh, pottery, cutlery, and so on. And they're sitting in a very nice Tuscan villa. So, you know, some, some things there that are a challenge, I think, for us, but... Um, I don't know exactly what the Lord's Supper looked like, but I know that it didn't look like that. The first Lord's Supper, Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, when he um, did the Passover meal with his apostles, would have been sitting around a low table, well, actually not sitting, but reclining around a low table, almost maybe like the height of a coffee table, would have been reclining like this, and they would have been eating the food somewhat like this, as was the tradition of their day. So, um, I don't know exactly what it does, what it did look like, but I know it didn't look like the painting that we most often think of when we think about the Lord's Supper. Much like baptism, the Lord's Supper uh, is a, an outward expression and has symbolic meaning of, of what's happening inside of us. But um, I think that the physical representation uh, that we see in the Lord's Supper is completely unique to that of baptism. Unlike baptism, I believe that Scripture clearly teaches us that something beautiful and unique is taking place when we join together around the banqueting table of Christ Jesus. Something different, something spiritual is taking place when we take the Lord's Supper or when we eat of the Lord's Supper together. Let's open in prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth is everlasting truth. Lord, I pray that I would not deviate from your truth, that I would not wander from your words, but instead uh, that, uh, Holy Spirit, I would follow your leading, Lord, and that, um, that I would share what you would have us know and what you would have us learn today, Lord, with your people. Uh, Lord, may we be unified through your word and through, um, through your son, Jesus Christ, and his death, and unified through um, our act of taking Lord's Supper together. And I ask this in your name, Holy One. Amen. So as I was prepping, so I was getting ready to do this this week, you know, this is what always happens to me. So I get the topical things. You know, when, when it's my turn to preach, it's usually to cover for Nathan or someone because they're out. Um, was cover for Brent when he was out. You know, I, I would um, not get a, something that's in line with where we were studying like right now we're in 1 John. So instead of taking a passage out of 1 John, because I'm not really immersed in it to take that, I end up with something that's more topical. Um, topical in the sense that this week we're doing Lord's Supper, so we'll talk about the topic of the Lord's Supper. Not a bad thing at all. But as I was prepping, I started way over here, and interestingly enough, by the end of the week, I ended up way over here. So it was not where I, what I thought I was going to be sharing, not where I intended and what I intended to share. It was absolutely different. 
what I found in God's word was completely unique to what I thought. And that is the beautiful thing about God's living word. So when we go to it and we, and we are, um, when we are um, willing to make the investment, God always reveals himself to us there. Not some new amazing thing that no one's ever heard or no one's ever saw, but something that's new and unique to us as individuals, as God's people. So as I mentioned, something unique takes place when we join together around the banqueting table of the Lord Jesus Christ in Lord's Supper. Um, When I was studying, I studied the gospel accounts, of course. I went to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I also went to uh, Corinthians, where Paul does a lot of teaching about Lord's Supper as well. So the Pauline teaching on the Lord's Supper. And I was really surprised as I looked through the gospels that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all spend four or five chapters talking about the Passover and the night in which Jesus was betrayed prior to the Garden of Gethsemane. John, on the other hand, spends five chapters, not four or five paragraphs, I'm sorry. He spends five chapters as opposed to their four or five paragraphs. I thought that was really interesting because um, as we look to, to tonight or today's passage, we're going to see that um, Jesus' words on the night that he was betrayed and John's letter to the church, the letter that we call First John that we've been studying, uh, bear a striking resemblance. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that John was profoundly impacted by the things that Jesus said on the night in which he was betrayed. Another thing that I noticed as I was going through the Lord's Supper and the different uh, passages that taught on that, that there's several themes, several uh, facets to the Lord's Supper that are easy to spot. Remembrance being one, uh, thanksgiving, proclamation of Christ's sacrificial death, celebration of what Christ has done, uh, as well as celebrating the, in anticipation of Christ's return and what he is going to do. Uh, remember last time I had the opportunity to teach on Lord's Supper, that's what I talked about, the celebratory nature of the Lord's Supper. Uh, self-examination is another theme. And then fellowship, or one an- the one another of uh, the Lord's Supper that I think is profound. And that's what really caught me this week as I was studying. So um, I want to I start with John um, 13. You can turn with me if you'd like to John chapter 13. This is um, John recording what Jesus said right after they left the upper room. They're on their way to the... Um, Garden of Gethsemane. They're on their way out of Jerusalem, and Jesus' very first words to them, to the apostles, are this. When they had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. You know, there's an entire lesson here about how Christ is actually glorified even before he goes to the cross, but that's for another day. Um, Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children. John calls his church little children, by the way. The only other New Testament writer to do so. Jesus calls the apostles little children. Yet a little while while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, now listen to this. 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Does that sound familiar? Nathan just took us through that passage a week before last. Beautiful, beautiful words. John says this is the commandment of Jesus Christ that we would love one another. 
and that the world would know that we're God's people by the love that we show each other. So um, again, as I mentioned, I think that uh, that night had a profound impact on John because as we see that, um, John, really that's the backbone of that whole letter that we call the book of 1 John, that loving one another. So John is is profoundly impressed with Jesus' new command. He first um, records it. It's the backbone of his early church letter. Um, John, first John is a book about community. It's about the community of Christ, the family of God. And so I thought it was appropriate to look at the Lord's Supper as a means of the fellowship of believers, since that's what we're studying right now. And and I think you're going to see as we look at Paul's teaching that this um, not only applies, this is a profound theological truth. So interestingly, um, the text that really ties uh, the fellowship of the Lord's Supper uh, to, is found in the teachings of Paul, and it's in his instructional letter to a dysfunctional church, the church at Corinth, um, particularly in 1 Corinthians 10. What we're going to do is first, for context, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11, um, 17. So turn there with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians 11 probably most well-known passage on the Lord's Supper, the one that we use most, most commonly. But in the following instructions, again, Paul writing to the church at Corinth who are, um, are a mess. They are a mess. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Uh, God allows some uh, tares among the wheat, so it's obvious who the wheat is. Another lesson for another time also. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul is chastising them for their selfishness, for their self-love. Selfishness actually doesn't even sound so bad in contrast to the biblical term of self-love, the love of self. He goes on to instruct them on the correct participation of the Lord's Supper. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Paul is saying that he didn't hear about the Lord's Supper from the other apostles. Listen to that. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. He didn't read this in the gospel accounts. The apostles didn't tell him about it. Who told, who taught Paul what he knows about the Lord's Supper? That's not rhetorical. Who taught him? Jesus. He says, the Lord told me these things. I heard this straight from Jesus. I didn't read this somewhere. I didn't see it in a John MacArthur commentary. I heard this from Jesus himself. So, you know, with that, we know that what Paul is going to teach us about these things, what he teaches us about the Lord's Supper is is not, you know, maybe, well, maybe it's a little hyperbole. Maybe it's a little exaggerated. It's none of those things. This is exactly what God, Jesus Christ, told him about the Lord's Supper, as we look in a moment. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And by the way, he had already talked to the church at Corinth about how to take the Lord's Supper, so he's probably extra uh, annoyed with them because they've 
not, um, they've not been faithful to do what he's already instructed them to do on behalf of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, remember now I was talking about the themes earlier, there's thanksgiving. Um, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's that remembrance element. Um, what, what are we remembering? Um, this is from our last time together that we were teaching and, and studying on this. We're remembering who Christ is, what he's done, what he's doing, along with what he's going to do when he comes back for us again one day soon. Verse 25. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's the proclamation. Now Paul warns them, though. Says this is how you should do it, but check this out. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. There's that examination aspect. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And why does God discipline us? Why, does, why are we disciplined? Because, because he loves us. That's right. Thank you. Very good. God disciplines those he loves. Paul finishes his instruction with, his instruction with this, verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So correcting the way that they are wrongly taking the Lord's Supper is so important that Paul says, I will, I will take time to write to you about this. There's other things that are a mess, but I'll talk to you about them when I get home. So until he gets, uh, or when I get back to Corinth. So until he gets back to Corinth, he sends these things to them uh, and wants them to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, to be uh, serious about taking the Lord's Supper in a right and worthy manner. Um, so I mentioned the theme of fellowship. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 10 together. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. Um, there's an amazing piece of theology here in this passage. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. Now here's what, what's happening in this passage is Paul is talking to them He's really teaching on Christian liberty. But it's, it comes in the, um, the vehicle for the delivery of this message is he's talking to them about eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. That's really not the main, the main teaching here. The main teaching is, is that in Christ we have liberties and how we should exercise those liberties. So again, this is a passage or a teaching on the liberty, uh, Christian liberty, but Paul is obviously talking about the Lord's Supper here. Take a look. Verse 16. And this is um, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. 
16 and 17, one more time. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So it's a little two-sentence question and an answer. It's sandwiched in the middle of Paul's teaching about Christian liberty, but obviously Paul has something more in mind as he shares this with us. You know, the Greek word for participation actually means to have in common. That's where we get the word communion. So some of you maybe have grown up in a tradition where rather than saying Lord's Supper, you say communion. Um, it's appropriate. It, it really it fits what we're doing here as well. Um, it actually, the, the Greek word means to have in common, but it also means to participate and have partnership with. Not two different things, but to participate with and have partnership with all one, all one word, you know, or all one phrase. It also is translated as fellowship and or sharing. Um, let's go ahead and reread that passage, but with the Greek emphasis now. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation of the blood of Christ and a partnership with him? Slightly different. Is it not a participation of the blood of Christ and a partnership with him? We're partners with Christ through the Lord's Supper, through the cup that we bless. Obviously, we can't go to the cross with Christ. Uh, Even if we could go with him, uh, we wouldn't be able to accomplish the things that he accomplished there. This is a spiritual partnership. We become spiritual partners with Christ. The Holy Spirit of God inspired this teaching to show us that because of Christ's work on the cross and because of what he's done, believers are spiritually one with Christ, one with God. Now, that's not so revolutionary. I know that we don't really wrap our heads or hearts around that. I know we don't even always live like that, honestly, because that's hard to understand. We're physical, finite beings, and these spiritual realm things can be tough for us to to take in, for us to apply to our lives. But yet, Scripture is very clear in telling us that this is an important thing for us, an important thing in our lives, that we are one with Christ, but here's what I think caught me off guard. I think what, what, really, um, what really grabbed me was Paul's horizontal conclusion based on the vertical fellowship that we see with Christ. Look at um, 17. Watch this. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Paul declares that in and through Christ, we who are many are actually one. Spiritually, we're not only one with God, we are also one with one another. The Lord's Supper is meant to be a unifying act of corporate worship. Yet how do we take the Lord's Supper? Someone stands up front, we all bow our heads, and it becomes a Jesus and me moment. It becomes a personal thing, yet... Paul is showing us, Holy Spirit inspired Paul, Jesus told him directly that this is a unifying act of corporate worship. This is something that we should be doing that that would draw us together, that would bring us together, that would cause us to be one with one another. So much like what we've been talking about in the letter to 1 John. You know, honestly, I'm not really sure how but I think that as a church, we may have gotten away from what God has intended. I don't just mean country oaks. I just mean the church of today. You know, this, the Lord's Supper is, is basically celebrated the same way at most every church. Um, I think that we have kind of ended up, we're more like that Da Vinci painting. 
where Jesus is in the middle and we're all kind of off to the sides, but we're all alone. We're not sitting around the table with him. We're not at the banqueting table of, of the Savior. We're, we're all there individually. We're not there as a big thing. Think about what Jesus uses as he turns the Passover into the Lord's Supper. He uses a Passover Seder. That is a big whoop-de-doo. That is a big party in the Jewish culture. That is all of the family, extended family, coming together um, and celebrating for hours together. And it's all centered around food, which appeals to me. Okay? In the New Testament church, what was the church at Corinth doing? You know, we got people that are, they're eating out of turn. They're eating too much. They're drinking too much. What are they doing there from a Baptist perspective? What are they doing? A potluck. They're having a big old potluck. That appeals to me too. So, you know, as I was reading through this, you know, we, I, I see where we've, you know, we've taken what Scripture clearly shows us as one thing, but today we're, we're enacting it and we're applying it another way. Now, I don't even know, know exactly how we can find our way back to that koinonia, to that, um, to that Christian fellowship with Christ and with one another, like the New Testament church or even, even the, you know, the Old Testament Jews or Jesus in the Passover um, that they enjoyed. But, but I do know that the, Lord and, the Lord's Supper intends for us to be one, to be unified, not a bunch of individuals sitting in one room, but one body gathered together under one God. Clearly taught clearly taught here by, by Paul as he heard it from Christ. So I don't know exactly how we can find our way back to that, but I do know this, that as a church, we are emphasizing getting involved in small groups. We want to see all of our church family involved somewhere outside of the one-hour Sunday morning experience, or two hours, three for some of us. But we want to get outside of just the Sunday morning experience. It's like trying to have a relationship with someone when you only see them one or two hours a week and saying, oh yeah, we're, you know, it would be like if Anita, my wife, and I said, well, I only see her two hours a week, but you know, we're one flesh. How can we be one together when we only see each other in passing? In fact, I would, I would challenge this way, that some of you have been around the church for a long time, and um, don't really know anybody here. Or don't, you know, maybe have your one or two same friends, but haven't branched out to find the one another's. That happens so naturally and so easily in a growth group, whether it's a Sunday morning ABF or a weeknight growth group in someone's home. But I can't emphasize enough how important it is to us if we're going to be the body of Christ that God calls us to be. The body of Christ that Jesus Christ died for, if we're going to be that group of believers, we need to be involved at a bigger level than what that many of us are right now. So the elders of the church are so passionate about getting everyone involved in this that it, it just keeps coming up in our discussions together. And I, I hope that we can't say it enough. I hope that we don't say it so much that you just grow weary of hearing it without responding to it but I would just encourage you to be praying about getting involved in a smaller group somewhere, somewhere where you really can be one another, like God calls us to be. So I do know that together, through the Lord's Supper, we have a unique fellowship with one another. As believers, we're not only family, because we all share in Christ through communion, and through the, uh, or we are all members of the family of God, we're all one body, because we all share in Christ through communion, through the cup of blessing and through the broken bread. 
The Lord's Supper has a past reference to Christ's death. It has a present reference to our participation with him and with one another. And that should encourage us in our daily walk. There's nothing more encouraging to me than when someone that I, I know and someone that I love, a brother or sister in Christ, comes along and helps me, especially when I'm down, especially when I'm struggling. When they come my way and they, they um, speak that word of life into my life, when they come and they come alongside, maybe it's nothing more than they come alongside and they put their arm around me. Silently. Nothing. But I can only have that relationship. A, a stranger in Save Mart who comes up and puts their arm around me will not comfort me. <laughs> has to be somebody I know. Has to be us. Has to be our family. Okay, so um, the Lord's Supper also has reference, is, is also a reference to Christ's pledge to return for us, which is another thing that's very encouraging. So as the days grow darker, as life is more difficult, as life as we, we hit the bumps, the, the peaks, the valleys of life, um, Christ's return offers us that, that comfort that, that I don't have to do this forever that I'll be with my Jesus one day. I might be with my Jesus one day soon. Sooner for some of us than others. Though the Lord's, um, it, it's, um, the Lord's Supper is also a renewing sign. It's an oath of the new covenant. In the, in the new covenant. In the Lord's Supper, we renew our commitment to Christ, but we should be renewing our commitment to one another. That's what's happening as we take the Lord's Supper together. So uh, much like a, we didn't do a baby dedication today, but a lot what, what happens there is there's no spiritual emphasis on this baby or on this child or, or even on those parents, but it's us committing to them that will help them. It's them committing to us that they want our help in raising their children. Likewise, likewise when we do the Lord's Supper together, um, we're really renewing our commitment to each other as a body of Christ. In his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul is rooting the church's unity in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. There is one body, the church, because there is one bread, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm going to uh, pray. I'd like you to join me. And I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I know that as we think about being one body, we're one body with one another here at Country Oaks. We're one body with other believers around Tehachapi at other churches. Other, believe, other Bible-believing churches. We're also one another with other Bible-believing Christians around the world. But additionally, the Lord's Supper connects us to the saints who have gone before us, through the saints of all ages, the, those that, that have existed through eternity, and, and if the Lord tarries, for those that would be saints out beyond us as well for years to come. So I love the Valley of Vision. These are prayers written by saints of old, um, they're prayers that have been prayed by saints throughout the ages. And uh, we're going to join together with our brothers and sisters who have gone before us and certainly those who use something like this beyond us. So let's bow in prayer and uh, pray for the Lord's, uh, our, our time with the Lord through the Lord's Supper right now. God of all that is good, we bless thee for the means of grace. Teach us to see in them thy loving purposes and the joy and strength of our soul. Thou hast prepared for us a feast, and though we are unworthy to sit down as guests, we wholly rest on the merits of Jesus Christ and hide ourselves beneath his righteousness. When we hear his tender invitation and see his wondrous grace, we cannot hesitate, but must come to you in love. By thy spirit, enliven our faith rightly to discern 
and spiritually to apprehend our Savior. While we gaze upon the emblems of our Savior's death, may we ponder why he died and hear him say to us, I gave my life to purchase yours, presented myself an offering to expiate your sin, shed my blood to blot out your guilt and open my side to make you clean, endured your curses to set you free, bore your condemnation to satisfy divine justice. Oh, may I rightly grasp the breadth and length of this design, draw near, obey, extend the hand, take the bread, receive the cup, eat and drink, testify before all men that we do ourselves, um, we do for ourselves gladly in faith, reverence, and love. Receive our Lord to be our life, strength, nourishment, joy, and delight. In the supper, we remember your eternal love, your boundless grace, your infinite compassion, the agony, the cross, redemption, and we receive assurance of pardon, adoption, life, and glory. As the outward elements nourish our bodies, so may thy indwelling spirit invigorate our souls until that day when we hunger and thirst no more and sit with Jesus at his heavenly feast. Amen.